1: See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
2: I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JP Morgan Chase Bank, NA, member FDIC. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry, and T Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at tmobile.com slash now.
0: Hey everyone. We heard the news last week that Burt Bacharach died at the age of 94. He was an absolute titan of 20th century music, co-wrote some of the greatest pop songs of all time with his partner Hal David. Songs for people like Dionne Warwick and Dusty Springfield. Songs that got interpreted by greats like Aretha Franklin and Roberta Flack and Tom Jones. Just an absolute monster and one of the best to ever do it. And he was working right up until the very end. He released an EP called The Blue Umbrella with producer Daniel Tashian. We had them both on to speak to Bruce Headlam back in 2020. Over the weekend, I spoke to Daniel about working with Burt and also asked him to put Burt's career into the context of popular music in the 20th century. So let's listen to my quick conversation with Daniel Tashian, and then we'll replay our 2020 interview with Burt Bacharach and Daniel Tashian speaking to Bruce Hedlum. This is Broken Record. Liner Notes for the Digital Age. I'm Justin Richmond. Nice to see you. Yeah, you as well. Yeah, man. I'm so glad we have that conversation with you and Bert documented. Such a, a beautiful group of songs you guys put together and Yeah. When did his work enter your consciousness?
3: Yeah, I think I was about the height, wherever the height it is, when the age when your nose is like this with the with the piano. You know, your nose is like touching middle C. So I think I was like three or four and I heard Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head because I guess Bush Cassidy maybe had come out a few years before that, and it was just kind of on the radio, and it just uh, sounded like it was talking to me, you know? It was just one of those melodies and songs that just irresistible. That's a great time to discover Burt Bacharach, as you're just sort of eyeing
0: the piano for the first time.
3: Yeah, and I just tried to peck it out on the keyboard when my grandmother had a piano, along with Mancini, Pink Panther, da-da-da-da. You know, in California as a kid, also obsessed with Christopher Cross, with the Arthur's theme. I thought that it was like this you know, window into the world of, of adult emotions and adult feelings. It was like, when you get caught between the moon and New York City, I was like, is that going to happen to me? You know, it was like, I, I was just <laughs> kind of fascinated with relationships when I was a kid. I was just really thinking about the adult world a lot and how how it worked and would I be ready for it? And, and, and Bert was kind of a window. Bert's music was kind of a window into that world in a way that didn't make it seem impossible.
0: It's funny that I'd never thought about Bert's music that way, but he, he could write something sort of as simple or something as appealing to a kid as raindrops keep falling on my head and something as like mature as like heartlight and, and things that just seemed very complex when you're a young kid or even a young adult, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I got a bit older, I got a um, Dionne Warwick CD that had a lot of amazing songs. And I was like, holy, this stuff is like, I mean... It's just so deep and and, and beautiful. It's like when the B section of walk on by, when it transitions to that other section and the horns start to rise and the strings start to rise. It's just celestial and it just transports you. And it's just like, it really speaks to me. And I don't know if you feel this way, but like of the the potential of, of humankind to transcend this sort of like, kind of mediocre existence that we have in a way that is 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 eternal, you know, and kind of transcendent. I was just listening to Walk On By this morning, and like, I mean, that has to just be one of the greatest uh, chord changes, you know. Yeah, it's because no matter the version you listen to, to be honest,
0: it's it's almost always striking.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a thrill ride to that music. That was one of the things I loved about working with Bert was he, I felt like he was making like this wonderful roller coaster slash uh, obstacle course for the voice, you know, and they were, it was just so fun to, to surf on those melodies. You know, that was something that he talked about a lot was the, the through line of the melody through the whole song. And just kind of, if you look at it, is it interesting? Were you nervous collaborating with him? At first I was definitely nervous and, you know, he kind of wasn't into that, you know, and then I thought, well, this is my chance to kind of work with a hero. I'm just going to be myself. And for better or for worse. But you know, it helps when you just really love what they do. And of course I wanted to write a song with him, but I wasn't really expecting that. And and so I just thought, well, might as well just go for it. And I remember telling his manager, Sue, I said, you know, I just wish these lyrics were better that I was writing. And she said, you know, something very comforting, which was she said, Everybody feels that way. And after she said that, I was like, Oh, so I'm not the only person that thinks like this isn't the greatest lyric I've ever done, but it's the one I got. And uh he was very encouraging. Later on, when I got more comfortable and he had kind of complimented me, then I thought, okay, I'm going to try to do something really, really special, you know. And um, actually, we written two new songs that we were working on just a couple weeks before he passed away, and he felt that they were two of the best lyrics that I had sent him. So um, I feel sort of honor-bound to see those through, and I will. Wow. How far along did you guys get on those his work is done, the music is done. It's just up to me to uh complete the last verse. Um, okay. So uh, it'll be done soon. Yeah, they're they're thrilling, you know. This one called Starlight Motel and like he comes in, it's like an E9 chord that just doesn't have any thirds in it and it just it just sounds like space, man. It just sounds like <laughs> you're just looking at a sky full of stars, you know. It's just it's amazing. I love that he was creating up until,
0: you know, up until he couldn't anymore, you mm-hmm. know, literally couldn't, something comforting than that to me, you know, that he, he knew his purpose and, and was just able to sort of always
3: be in that purpose as his, his entire existence. Yeah, I think that was kind of one of the things that, you know, he really felt that music was kind of a saving grace during the pandemic when everyone was so cooped up and kind of isolated. And I think that was like a real mood lifter for both of us during that yeah. time. And I remember one time I said, well, we got you know we we went all the way to the to the grammys we got nominated we can we can probably put our feet up for a second he said nope not putting my feet up cuz the day you put your feet up is the day that you die wow he just really liked to keep moving you know keep working and um i think i took that to heart you know i think i'm i'd, I'd like to be that way i mean i'm i'm interested in music and and words and i can't i can't see a time when i wouldn't be interested you know yeah Do you think you fully understand everything you might've learned from working with Bert? Nope. I don't think so. I think, you know, stuff has to just kind of filter in and I have a lot of memories. I mean, we worked together for five years. We talked on the phone, you know, every week at least and became really close. And, and, um, I, I don't know, I still can't sort of believe that he's, he's gone. And I, I, um, I miss him. I miss just talking to him and he didn't really love to talk about stories, but he did, you know, of the old days. But he did give me a few stories. But mainly, I think the thing that I loved the most was just sitting at the piano with him and watching him process and think about things and kind of, kind of tap on it uh, on the piano. You know, he would just sort of go donk, donk 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 different notes and then scribble a little bit. And when you hang around with somebody like that, it's like their their mannerisms and their little Things that they light up about that you kind of notice, and you sort of you don't really know what it what it means as much as you just sort of how it feels, and and I think um I'll be unpacking being with Bert for a long time. One thing I can say though, I can nail down a couple things that I feel like I really he would want me to do. He would want me to have an interesting melody. He would want me to not do something that sounds like something that's already out there. He would want me to keep pushing and not not settle for a, a kind of a lame lyric or a lyric that doesn't have any urgency behind it or any reason to kind of be a song. We were working on this one song, and the lyrics were sort of pretty and kind of interesting, and then halfway through working on it, he was like, I just can't figure out why we need to do this song. <laughs> wow. You know, and I was like, yeah, I don't really know why either. You know, and 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 we just sort of, you know, once he tosses it, it's gone. It's like in the fire. I wonder how many
0: great songs he scrapped just because they weren't to his, his standard, you know.
3: It probably wasn't him that wasn't up to snuff either. It was probably the lyricist. You know what I mean? Like, he probably always did his best. And if the lyric was just kind of OK, he just would sort of lose momentum, you know. And I get that. You want something, a sense of urgency uh, about a song, you know, what the world needs now, you know, it's got a lot of urgency to it, you know, Um, a a reason for a song being something that comes out and meets the ears of the listener is is like something that, that's a deep concept, you know, you can take that a lot of different ways. That's great. Well, well, I'm glad there's two more to come. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a real gift for the rest of us. He was an angel and so kind to me and didn't, ever sort of make me feel bad about not being a great music reader or a sight reader or anything like that was patient with me and he knew that I you know had a certain amount of musicality so that we could communicate and you know I remember being at his house and I wanted to play a little bit of piano so that he knew that I knew what he was he was doing and he would say I didn't know that you played piano and then I asked him who his heroes were who he looked up to, you know, because I, I wanted to know, like, who did he, because he was who I looked up to, you know, and I wanted to know who he looked up to. And he just, he said, eh, Carole King, uh, Ravel. Yeah, that's about, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, Ravel. D- did Bert listen to music much in his free Yeah, time? he loved this guy. He said, go, one time he called me, he said, go look up Yvonne Linz. Said, go, you want to hear a fantastic song? Go look up Yvonne Linz. And uh, he this was a, a, a Brazilian uh, composer and singer that he really, really admired. And I went and listened to the guy's music. Sure enough, it's fantastic. Uh, Yvonne Linz, L I N D S, I think. And that's something he kind of went back to just over the years? Yeah, he's composer. like a Brazilian pop star. <laughs> wow. I think he's fairly, you know, contemporary. He, oh, it's a contemporary. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. Uh huh so he was discovering he was just still discovering new music too yeah i think so i mean i think he you know he did he did that album with dr dre a few years ago about 10 years ago and um yeah i think he always wanted to do something new he didn't have any set sort of way to do things or or way that he has to do things i remember one time i said do you want to start with a melody that i've got which can you believe that i would say something like that like w- what's wrong with me But I said that, and he was like, yeah, sure, why not? And I played him uh, a little of this melody that I had, and he said, well, let me mess with it a little bit, because it already sounds like something I've heard before, you know? And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And he fixed it. (laughs) To hear Burt tinkering around with a melody you wrote. I'll tell you, the first time I heard him play some music underneath some lyrics I had sent him, it just, my eyes welled up with tears. I I was just so moved. It was just so beautiful. And I felt like that, that three-year-old kid that had his nose up to the piano was like having this full circle moment of like, I was connecting with the source of the thing that was so important to me as a child. And, and throughout my life, my, it's like, he's got music for, for every age. It's, it's, I don't know. I just, I was just overwhelmed with, with, with gratitude and with emotion and, you know, when he passed away, it was almost like, it was almost just like a, a, a transference of a transmogrification of, of energy, and it wasn't like I was just sitting there crying. I mean, I I, I was just kind of like, it was just a, a, a very spiritual moment and and um a kind of a graduation. Man, well, I'm so
0: happy that you guys did that music together, and that, you know, we were able to have you guys both on at
3: the start of the pandemic, and... uh great that you guys have some some other music that, that you know we can still hear yeah. coming out the greatest I can't believe it sometimes the greatest composer of my lifetime without a doubt and I got to hang out with him I mean what a dream come true that was Daniel Tashian reflecting
0: on his friendship and the legacy of Burt Bacharach in music now let's go to our 2020 conversation between Bruce Headlum, Burt Bacharach and Daniel Tashian
4: Bert, you once said that you didn't know that a song was going to work until you were in the recording studio, until you had the musicians there. What's it like sending something and going, well, I don't know what it's going to sound like because I can't be there.
5: Always for me, in the past, when I knew people would be there all in, a, in the same studio, I lived by the credo of um, it was the moment of truth. You lived or died with that song in the studio. It felt good going in, but things could go wrong in the concept. I had this habit. I don't know whether I ever told you, Daniel, when I got in trouble on a date and had string players out there and uh, something was amiss in the concept, the way the arrangement was going down, I'd give a break to the band, 10 minutes. I'd go into the uh, bathroom, to the men's room, into a stall, just close the lid, sit on the stall, and try to hear this whole scope of where this record was going, where this song was going, and to make sure there were no pimples. If the pimples were there, the pimples drove me into the bathroom. And then you try to to work it through, and you don't have anybody leaning on you. You're not at the piano trying to figure it out in a room full of musicians. So for me, it's the moment of truth. That's where you know you got something.
4: So I want to go back to how this collaboration started. It started with a meeting at your house, Burton. I'd like to hear both of you just tell me a bit about how that came about.
5: Okay, Daniel's on a glow. Daniel's on a winning streak. Daniel's a very, very happy guy. And he had just won the Grammy for producer of the year. On Casey's record, which was a brilliant record, and you pick it up from there, Daniel.
6: Well, there's a lot of mystery for me around Bert before I met him, and you know they say you shouldn't meet some of your heroes because sometimes you know y- you can maybe not have the kind of interaction that you hope for. But in, in, in the case of of me and Bert, and I do consider you to be one of my great heroes, Bert. Um, Thank you. In that situation. I found you to be very warm and welcoming. You welcomed me into your music room, um, sort of a sunken kind of living room you kind of come down into and there's there's a piano and up on the wall, you know, are the, are these Oscars and Grammys and, and Gershwin Award. And uh, it's very, uh, very heady stuff for a, gu- a guy like me. And, um, but uh, you had worked on some music for a little lyric shred that I had sent you and um, I couldn't help it, man. The tears came to my eyes. It was so beautiful. I loved, I loved the way that you, um, Made the words that I had written kind of come to life in this in this um, way that I never I never could have thought of on my own and and um, it was just wonderful to be there in that room with you and I'll, I, I was in, ensconced in a very um, comfortable armchair with a nice cup of tea and you were playing to me right right next to me um, on the the beginning of Blue Umbrella and it's a memory that I, I'll cherish all my life.
5: I could say this the thing about Daniel. I don't think, you know, I've had different collaborations with Elvis or with uh, How David, my ex wife, Carol Baker Sager. There is something about this relationship as it's grown and expanded. We genuinely, really like each other. And the more time that we work, connect, talk, there's no fear. You know, there's no, you know, you always have a, well, Will this future collaborator be something that will like my music? Will it work? See, Daniel's in this. He's got all bases covered because he's uh, I love the way he sings, which I didn't know until I heard it. I love his musicianship. I love his words. And the thing that I find very interesting. Because I think the work has been really productive and really good, and proud of what we've done, Daniel. Um, Me too, Bert. And the friendship has grown. So we'll talk at different times. We'll we'll keep on writing. You know, um, we've got a couple of more songs in in the pipeline now. Yeah, we do. And some bangers. Um, say, yeah, and and the same musicians, <laughs> but they'll. Instead of all being in the studio, everybody will be in their own house like in Nashville.
4: Yeah.
5: And uh, being able to um, hear each other as parts are added, it's it's not the perfect solution, but the sound is good. That was one of my concerns, how it would sound. Stuff coming Mm -hmm. instead of off the board in a studio with all the gear, Mm -hmm. but it sounds really good. So that took any fears, concerns, of new stuff that we would write. But um, I love it that we've we've done this thing with with Blue Umbrella and... and, uh, Me too. I'm proud of the songs and whatever happens with it, it, pride will always be there. Yeah.
4: I want to go back to what you said about Daniel as a singer. I mean, he's mainly known as a producer. You know, not everybody can sing a Burt Bacharach melody. You've got a very particular flavor of melody. Um, You play a lot with the rhythm uh, or the beat, I guess the time signature. Um, And obviously you've had some incredible collaborators who do, you know, starting with Dionne Warwick and many others. What does a good Burt Backrack singer have to have to sing your songs?
5: Well, you don't know what you're going to get with Daniel. Like, because we'd worked in a room until we got in the studio. But I never had any doubt that he's going to sing well. But when I heard him in the studio, he does his homework. He comes in prepared. I'm a big one on preparation. And then, you know, it's like what works, it's all... Interchangeable. Half of it could work, half of it couldn't work, but we'll get through it. But our taste, we kind of understand each other and in a very, in a very kind of sensible, loving way. He's my friend.
6: I love you too, Bert. I really do, man. And um, I think one thing a singer needs to do um, is to stick to the melody because it's probably a good one, you know, and I think a lot of singers tend to kind of go into maybe areas where they feel like maybe more comfortable, like doing licks or something that they know they can pull off and that, that, that are crowd pleasers. Uh, and that doesn't really cut it with, with, with your music. You know, I think you've got to um, be the kind of singer that can, that can stick to the, to the ink. There was an outro and uh, we were working in the studio and i uh, this was another one of those unforgettable moments, but I, I just had this, I was tempted to kind of veer off into some more sort of, um, you know, dreadful kind of um, ad libbing. He sort of said, you know, gently, you know, maybe let's not let's not let's not deviate here. You know, people think that, you know, someone who has some harmonic complexity to their music like Bert, uh, that you would think that he's interested in complexity, but he's actually quite interested in the opposite. He he really loves simplicity. Um, He really loves um, a simple, um, catchy song, you know. Economics. very Economics, economic, yeah. yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, w- what's not there is filling up a space. Sometimes that's very advantageous. Mm-hmm.
6: And the more I've gotten to know you, I mean, I honestly, you know, I really do like that about our collaboration that I, um, the learning aspect of it for me and um, the confirmation of things that I've instinctively felt, you know, um, I, I like that. Can you, can you
4: give me an example when you said confirmation of things that you
6: felt? Well, that, that really, that the things that you love, that you and I love, and we listen to all the time, you know, if it's, uh, name anything uh, amazing, whether it's Beatles or, or whatever, you know, it's all really at the end of the day, something that's made sort of of the spirit, it's made um, of the emotion. It's, it's, it's not. It's not a, it's not the result of um, a lot of sort of strategic kind of um, well, if I sing it, you know, this way here, um, that'll have the right effect. No, that's not the way you approach it. It's a feeling that you're feeling and you're, you're inside of that music. And I think, you know, Bert's music for me is very easy for me as a singer to inhabit and to, uh, exhibit with a lot of, um, natural feeling because I do feel those melodies and I do feel those sentiments. So, um, there's not a lot of strategy behind it. I think that's, you know, there may be strategy um, in, in arrangement and stuff like that. But when it comes to displaying or, or creating those moods, it's it's feeling. It's all about feeling and mood. And it's
5: growing together as the song moves, moves on as the song moves on. And it takes shape and takes different turns and it evolves.
4: From the five songs on the EP, are there uh, Daniel, is there, can you think of a particular song or passage that may sound like a distinctive uh, Burt Backrack melody that you just love singing or that you found easy to sing or that you found really hard to sing?
6: Well, they're all tough to sing because what you realize once you get behind the wheel on these things is that there's um, specific jumps, which I would imagine it's similar to when an orchestral musician has to play um, a passage that they've got to make a, a jump that's uh, at a significant distance um, on the chorus of bells of St. Augustine, for example, um, there's a, there's a jump there. It's not kind of, and it's not swooping. It's a specific uh, set of notes that, that it's very fun to sing, but also if you're not in shape, you know, the muscles of the throat, they've got to, um, you've got to uh, sort of stick the landing, you know, otherwise you kind of come off of a jump and you'll be flat. <laughs> That's great. Really? You, is it, was, do you remember the particular interval that it was? So yeah, on the chorus of "Bells of Saint Saint Augustine," there's a um, there's a figure, uh, da, da, uh, 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 yeah, and I love singing that so much. Um, it's a specific series of notes that it's very easy to skid off the rails on that, especially on that bottom note. And um, so those are the challenges for me as a singer. You've got to like tighten. Tighten your control up a little bit so you can nail those notes, you know, and there's no auto tune on this project. And I I told Ryan, our our wonderful engineer and mixer that um, I really wanted to uh, avoid any, any tuning, any artificial um, help. And just really as a singer, I wanted to grow. I wanted to learn, you know, and get better. And a great way to get better as a singer is to sing some of Bert's stuff because um, there's no, you can't really fake it, you know?
5: Yeah.
0: We'll be right back with more from Bruce Headlam's 2020 conversation with Bert and Daniel after the break.
1: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bpcom America.
7: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your Titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
2: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March twentieth at seven PM Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at
0: new-qx80.com. Twenty twenty-five
2: qx eighty coming this summer.
0: We're back with Bruce Headlam's conversation with Burt Bacharach and Daniel Tashian.
4: So, tell me about the first song you worked on from this great EP and and how it started.
5: Blue umbrella.
6: Yeah, I texted I texted him basically some lyrics that I um, was kind of tossing around. And um, I've never worked that way before with just sending a lyric to someone. That's a first for me. Um, I'm usually um, involved in people sitting together in a room with, with holding guitars and playing and singing together and trying to come up with something simultaneously. But it was another aspect of this process that was great, um, different
5: for me in a good way. And we've come a long way, Daniel. We have.
6: And
4: Bert, when you first got those lyrics, do you still still play every day or you try and get at the piano every day?
5: Uh, Not every day. Hey, hey, this has kept um, uh, a life going for me, this whole process with Daniel, with the EP, with with promoting it, with believing in it uh, and writing new stuff and a continuing process we'll get two three more songs done and we'll do it remotely because that works yeah we'll we'll give the best of what we can do i think you did some great direction
6: on on um blue umbrella i'll tell you something funny about recording that song when we were recording that we we had figured it out and and we were playing it and then when we would go to the to um wonder where you are we go that part and the drummer was like going to the ride symbol and every the band was sort of flourishing on that section and Bert got on the uh, on the uh, talk back in, in the studio and he said it sounds like everybody's like going to the chorus and we all kind of looked at him like what is he talking about and then I started to understand about the way that you're interested in developing I think um, things simmering a bit more, you know, and not kind of um, telegraphing your sort of, okay, now we're in the section that everybody's supposed to like kind of feel like, okay, now this is the point of the whole thing. But maybe instead of telegraphing what everybody should feel, it was more like let, them, let the notes and the
5: chords do the heavy
6: lifting and just everybody just hold steady.
5: Man, that was such a lesson. That was so cool. Uh, absolutely. I do like a kind of seamlessness if can be done that yeah. one goes into the other without an announcement, trumpets blaring, you know. Now,
4: Bert, had you worked from lyrics before? I know you, you used to often compose and then make up dummy lyrics and then how David or someone else would provide lyrics. Did you ever have just a lyric sheet and you say, okay, now I got to create something from these lyrics?
5: Yes, uh, certainly did with Alfie because it had to depict what the movie was about. So Alfie, came in, the words came in first? Absolutely. Oh. And one of the hardest songs, because I wanted to make it perfect. And it dominated my life.
4: How long did it take you to write yeah. that?
5: Three weeks. Three weeks? Wow. Yeah. And I would go to, maybe go to theater uh, to see a play. But I'd been working on maybe the pimples in the song. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't enjoy The play, I would wind up leaving the theater, having solved nothing, solved nothing on Alfie, and not enjoy the play. And everything on Promises, Promises, when we did the musical. Mm -hmm. All the words, really, that Hal would have to come up. he, He couldn't write a melody out of a Neil Simon script because the dialogue would go into a song and it didn't seem to fit to sit down and imagine what the song might be because you wanted to make, again, the seamless thing I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Go from the script, the dialogue continues in, into song because it's just natural. Otherwise I, I can't conceive of it doing it another way.
4: You know, a little bit what Daniel was talking about that, that you didn't want people to, to feel the chorus too soon. It's a little characteristic of some of your songs and Alfie's a good example where sometimes you're not quite sure where it's going. Like, it's got a lot of momentum. And then when it ends up, because there's, there's time changes and, and the harmony's complex.
5: Well, you see, yeah, see with Alfie that uh, it just, it took me to another place by having words and became an eight-bar phrase or it became a six-bar phrase or a 12-bar phrase just by where the lyric took me.
4: Right, wow. Uh,
5: I like very much writing to Daniel's words, if he sends me. I mean, I had this one phrase on Blue Umbrella. Uh, uh, The hook, the chorus, uh, you know, are you still under the same blue umbrella? You know, the way you spaced it out, you added an extra bar, so it became, are you still under the same blue umbrella? And it just, a change like that, Splitting the word instead of going, are you still under the same blue umbrella? And that drove the next four bars just by that space.
6: Yeah, it continues to evolve. And, you know, Bert thinks about these things a lot. You know, he spends a lot of time, like I heard that, you know, Duke Ellington could write um, arrangements and orchestration in in. In the midst, middle of chaos, with no piano, he could just take some paper out and write stuff. And Bert's the same way; he can sit down at his desk, uh, no piano, and just write orchestration. Um, just, just write, write down violin parts, write down all that stuff. It's wonderful to 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 work with Bert and watch the way that the musical ideas take shape for him, and be able to witness the process for Bert of how um, an initial seed or you know of an idea can, can expand in his mind and what is involved as you're, as you're building the structure of a song and a melody, what's involved for him and what, what boxes does it have to tick? It's got to, you know, he's got to see the whole length of it, the whole way, all the way through. And then forgive me, Bert, if I'm, you know, telling your stories here for you, but
5: you are right. On. But
6: he's got to see the the melody, the long line of the melody all the way through, and then we can start to navigate through there. But um, you know, he, the collaboration is so great because we say yes to each other. You know, um, you know, he says I don't think that the um string should come in the first first chorus, and I, you know, I don't say no, man. We got to get them in there, and I just say okay, Bert, that sounds great because I I trust you. And um, he trusts my words and the, the, the simplicity of whatever it is that I'm trying to express with that. He trusts it. He doesn't say, hey, we don't need to be singing about this right now. Um, so we trust each other. And uh, that's a beautiful thing.
5: It is. Absolutely.
6: You know, we were talking about the feeling when you sit down in a, in a movie theater and the lights go down and it's a Steven Spielberg film. You know that Steven's got you. Got you. He's going he's gonna to take you on that ride. There's a similar feeling with with your music, people. You know, they know you, you're gonna you're gonna hold them um, in 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 the palm of your hand and carry them through that that song with that that music. Tell me a little bit about whistling
4: in the dark about the writing of that.
5: Yeah. Well, Daniel sent me a lyric.
6: Well, I will. I'll just say real quickly about the lyric. I just wanted to make something. Um, I like the phrase whistling in the dark because it sounds like like somebody that's. Um, going through something hard and, and, and they're kind of consoling themselves by sort of trying to create an atmosphere of lightness, you know, within themselves. And we wrote that song before, you know, anybody knew anything about a pandemic or, or, or any of that kind of uh, uh, hard hardship that was about to occur. So there's something about whistling in the dark. That's like, I'm, I'm feeling that song right now because um, I kind of have to, take that song's advice and just keep your eyes on, on, the, on the horizon and keep your eyes on the light at the end of the tunnel, which, you know, is going to come. It's just, it's going to be a minute,
5: you know? There was a hint of what was going I remember it was one of the last songs we wrote and there was, there was a sense of uh, whistling in the dark. Yeah. Uh, and things are lonely. So it was almost indicative of what was to come. Do you feel that, Daniel?
6: Absolutely. And, um, you know, Whistling in the Dark is one of those examples of sometimes I'll, you'll sing about something as a singer and songwriter and then you don't realize what you're singing about until later on it seems to take on, you know, more meaning or you realize, oh, I was really trying to process uh this thing that was happening in my life. And that's a weird thing that I don't know if you can resonate with that, Bert, but... Um,
5: I, I think so. I think because... Uh, there's an element in that song, like the intro, which is very dissonant piano, and it's sort of like, where did that come from?
4: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the. It sounds a little like like Thelonious monk, almost like it's, yeah, like it's falling apart a little bit,
5: right? And then the ending uh, is uh, also basically asking a question with the strings. Don't, don't 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 You know where did that come from? Do you remember
4: writing that? That string part is beautiful, and it, and the description of it is asking a question is so interesting. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember writing that bit? What you were thinking, or how it came to you?
5: Um, I knew I wanted, to, and and I got a definite push from my partner here. Really, Daniel saying that thing you played on the piano, dissonant, very kind of weird. I love it. So it starts that way and ends in a very weird way, too. We'll be right
0: back with the rest of Bruce Headlam's conversation with Burt Bacharach and Daniel Tashian from back in 2020.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
2: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other.
0: We're back with the rest of Bruce's conversation with Burt Bacharach and Daniel Tashian.
4: The songs you're writing now, because most of these were started, you know, before uh, coronavirus. What are the songs like now that you're writing?
6: Well, um, every song is different. Yeah, we were working on one of the songs, the newer song, it's called 21st Century Man, um, and it was a uh, a little bit of a piece of music that, that I'd started. And I said to Bert, you know, do you want to work on something that I kind of got started on, but I sort of don't know where to go with it. And he said, sure, let's check it out. So I played this little bit for him. I said, I like that. So there's this one part where you're going that sounds like something I've heard before and we can do better than that. And boy, did we ever. I thought that was interesting because I think I had come from sort of an environment. There's something about being a commercial songwriter in Nashville, and I've spent a lot of years here writing commercial songs very ineffectively, I might add. (laughs) If you look at the statistics for the number of cuts that I've gotten uh, versus the number of songs that I've turned in, um, it's pretty ridiculous. But I sort of came from this environment of like, it actually is a good thing if something sounds like something you've heard before. you know. And I feel like you kind of got me back on track, Bert, because really what I want to be Is innovative in everything I do. I want to be. I don't want to be sort of giving you a hook because it sounds like oh, I've heard that hook before. You know that that's something I can get stuck in my craw. I want to. I want to innovate, and and I think you you definitely do. And and I think my tendencies are sort of leaning more in that direction.
4: I want to make this conversation about the EP and the songs you're doing out because they're so good. Not about your whole career, uh, Bert, because that would take us a month. But Just that story Daniel told of you saying, we can do better than that, is probably something everybody needs to hear, not just songwriters, but particularly songwriters. Where does that come from? You're now in your 90s. Yep. You're putting out sensational music. Thank you. uh, And you're the guy saying, no, 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 we can do better than that. Where does that come from in you?
5: I think it's a a growth process. Neil Simon, when we were doing Promises, Promises, one night made this comment. He said, you know, you can get older, get fatter, but you're not like an athlete who's finished at 32. He said, you get to be 80. That talent that you've got should be nourished. You won't fall back. If somebody says hey, we got this new singer, could you write some th- song for her and just make it sort of like don't make me over? I wouldn't know how to do that anymore. It's left me. You can't repeat.
4: Do you mean it's left you in that you don't remember how you wrote songs like that or just that that's not something you're interested in doing?
5: I couldn't do it because I did it once and when it's done, don't repeat yourself.
4: Mm-hmm. I just... want to say that the songs are just wonderful uh, and it is just a thrill to meet both of you. And I think what you're doing is exciting and I think we can do better is something I'm going to remember the rest of my life.
5: Appreciate you. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, you've been good,
0: Bruce. That was Bruce Headlam's 2020 conversation with Burt Bacharach and Daniel Tashian about their EP Blue Umbrella. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Broken Record Podcast. We can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Holliday and Eric Sandler. Our editor is Sophie Crane. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our Theme Music's by Kenny Beats, I'm Justin Richmond.
8: Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing.